This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. The book of Luke, chapter 1. A few nights ago, there was a little bit of drama. That's my home. We were in the process of putting up decorations. Sometimes, if you were to bring a lawn chair and just kind of sit out by the curb, it's very reminiscent of a certain movie. I did not fall from the roof, but I came close. Inside our home, a little bit of drama was also unfolding. We were putting up the decorations. My two beloved children, whom I love dearly, they got a little bit overzealous. They started arguing and competing with one another about putting up certain decorations They started hanging up the ornaments on the tree and they started arguing over who's going to put up the last decoration ornament on the tree. It was quite a shuffle going on around there and we backed away from what we did and kind of gazed upon our work. And it occurred to us we have an Italian-themed Christmas because our tree was leaning like the Tower of Pisa, kind of like that. And what much we could do about it, we thought, and it took a week of great thinking upon my part and a great engineering feat and some rigging and rope and zip cords. Finally, our tree is straight, and my wife proudly posted it on Instagram. Our children, though, as excited as they were, I'm sure we can relate, can we not? We've been children, too. At least most of us have been children at one time. We get excited over being a part of something. That was what drove Elijah and Sarah's excitement. They were excited because they got to play a part. They were able to take something that was beautiful and, and all the decorations and, and the lights and they wanted to play a distinctive part in the celebration of Christmas. They wanted to be able to, you know, look back on all the stuff and say, hey, I, I had a part in that. We all like to play a part, don't we? And different things. I mean, we, we like to do something where we can get credit for something. Maybe not to be the celebrity or, or to gloat or anything. But, but sometimes there's just fulfillment and being a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And at Christmas time, I think of Mary. And just wonder. What was going on in her mind? What it would have been like for Mary, because so far as humanity was concerned, 
she had the most distinctive and exciting role in celebrating Christmas, didn't she? It could not have gotten any more intense than for Mary. Her excitement dwelt on the fact that she was playing one of the most significant parts, not just because of a baby, but because she knew, because she was informed that she was a part of God's redemptive plan of history. And so we wonder, what was she thinking? Well, guess what? We don't have to really worry because in Luke chapter 1, she has written and recorded for us a three-stanza hymn, three verses of her thoughts. She wrote them down for us, or it was written for us, I should say. And it's called Mary's Magnificat. That's what it's known to us as. And so for this Christmas season, I'm going to walk us through these three verses. And let's look at how, especially this morning, my goal is the part that you can play in God's redemptive history is significant. You may not, ladies, you'll never carry the Christ child. That's already been done. Men, you'll never be the earthly father of a savior like Joseph. That's already been done. But the question still remains, what is it that I can actually do? Is there anything that I can actually do? Am I qualified? Is there, is there any way at all that I can play a part in God's redemptive history for this world? The answer is a resounding yes. But there are some things that we must consider and some principles that I want us to look at this morning. And we're going to start here with Mary's Magnificat. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, let's stand together. I'm going to read the entire song, beginning in verse 46 and read through verse 55. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God. That in this season, in this time of the year, we can look upon the miraculous way that you introduced the Savior of the world to us in such a humble and lowly, or by such a humble and lowly means. We realize, God, that you value us not only for redemption's purposes, but that you also value us, that we were designated extremely important roles to bring about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You took ordinary people, an ordinary woman, and an ordinary man. Father, we too here, we are nothing but ordinary. But God, we know that you love us just as Mary and Joseph. We know, God, that our lives are just as special as Mary and Joseph. So, Lord, I pray that this day you would help us to see that there is great meaning 
in our lives. We were created for a purpose. And that we can be a part of your plan. Father, may you bless the reading of your word. Father, may you bless my words in this sermon. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, it, it is easy to think that with Mary, um, here she is, a um, young lady here. Um, wow, it's awesome to be Mary. You would think that. And, and actually, you'd be right. It is awesome to consider, ladies, Mary's situation. But you've got to remember something. The only difference between the world now and the world with Mary and Joseph, the only difference is years. It was as fallen then in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem as it is now. They had sin there just like they had sin now. They had issues of economy. They had false religions and false teachers. They had wars and rumors of wars. They had all of those things just like we have now. It was the same exact fallen world just like what we have here. So Mary, if we just kind of be real for a moment, Mary really typified something that we see a lot of nowadays, right? An unwed pregnant teenager in a relationship. Of course, now this relationship was kind of unique. In the Hebrew, it's called a kedushin. And, and it meant that when you were engaged to be married, it was just like you were already married. In other words, to break the engagement was just like getting a divorce. That's why Joseph responded the way that he did. He wasn't happy. Matter of fact, he had, and you read in the book of Matthew, he had his own plans to, you know, do something about uh, the situation that he was in. Mary being an unwed, pregnant teenager, she wanted company. She wanted someone in her presence that was kind of, in the same boat she was, so she went to see Elizabeth for a while. She also didn't have a lot of resources. She was originally from Nazareth. That was not the most wealthiest city. Uh, presumably, from what we know uh, uh, about Nazareth at that time, it, I mean, it was just like kind of rural southern America. It just, you know, economy wasn't all that great. Not a lot of rich folks. Mary herself, her family probably didn't have a lot of excess, probably didn't have any excess. She was just Mary. Loving the Lord, but wondering what in the world is her plan for her life. I mean, outside of Joseph, what's going to happen? But you see, faith sees the value in things that others may not see. What the world then and what Joseph saw as initially an unplanned pregnancy, God had a plan. I think that ought to speak to us today. In a generation now where it's become so convenient and to end and terminate pregnancies that are considered unwanted. Jesus was an unplanned 
And maybe we could almost say an unwanted pregnancy. I think outside the angelic declarations to Joseph and Mary, you could probably call it that. But they saw a plan. They were declared by an angel, by a messenger of the Lord, that there was a plan. But church, that's no different than the word of God's message to every pregnancy today. God has a plan. Because nothing is more valuable in the eyes of the Lord than you and I. He sent his son to die for you and I. He didn't come to redeem the trees or the bushes. He didn't come to redeem automobiles or businesses. He came to redeem mankind. He loves us exceedingly. So that's why Mary found joy in carrying for nine months in her womb the baby Jesus. But my message this morning will be to you guys who are struggling with God's plan. Maybe you don't see yourself as Mary and Joseph. Maybe you don't get the, you're reading your word and, and, and reading the Bible and, and you just don't get what God's plan is. Maybe you don't understand yet. This message is going to be for you. Because Mary reveals her heart in this song and she gives us great principles to think about. It's, it's full of amazing truth to help us trust in the perfect plan of God. I believe that God has a perfect plan for you. And I believe that if he has a perfect plan for you as a member of this church, he has a perfect plan for this church. So what did Mary say? Well, we're going to look at uh, the, the first couple of verses because that's the first verse from verse 46 through the end of verse 49. That constitutes, you know, stanza number one, if you're thinking about it like a song. So let's, let's kind of extract some truths from here to help you learn how to trust the plan of God for your life. Here it is. Principle number one. You've got to focus, and I mean always focus, on what the Lord has done for you. You've got to always remember God is active in your life. He will never leave you alone. You may feel alone. You may be physically alone in your home as a widow or widower. Or because of a divorce. But I promise you, God is there. He will not leave you alone. Look at verse 46 and 47. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. There's your key right there. God does not overlook the humble estate of his servants. He doesn't overlook you just because you don't have the status that someone else has. He didn't overlook me. He won't overlook you. He's got a plan for you. 
And guess what? I'm not speaking in future tense. I'm speaking of here and now. Can I just kind of get on a soapbox real quick? Let's stop talking about all the blessings that God has in store for us as a church in the future. I believe he's been pouring out them upon us already. God is not a God of the future. He's a God of the past, present, and the future all at once. And Mary knew this. She knew once that angel told her, we're going to talk about that in a minute, that, that revelation from this angel, but, but she knew she may come from Nazareth. She probably doesn't have a lot of money. She didn't have all that stuff that we think of others having. She didn't go to the best schools. She didn't have the best clothes. She didn't have a lot of friends on social media. But she said, you know, my heart and my life are just blowing up over Jesus because he didn't forget me. Now, there's a question. What does she mean when she said, my soul doth magnify the Lord? Let me explain it this way. I heard a commentator kind of write it out this way. And I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I think I like it. I'm going to steal it and give it to you guys. When you magnify something, I want you to think of it like, like, a, like your favorite sports team. Okay? Think of it like your favorite sports team, college, you know, whatever, NFL, NBA, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Just pick a sport, pick a team. Now, that team will always be just a team, and it will never be bigger or any smaller. It's just a team, okay? In other words, a football team is always just 11 guys on the field at one time. Or at least it's supposed to be that way. If not, it's flagged. But it's just 11 guys. On a basketball court, your team is only going to be five guys. No more, no less. Okay, just think of it that way. It's just a team. But what do we do with that team? You know what we do with that team? There's a lot of things we do with that team. We shout and we holler to the top of our lungs. We will buy t-shirts. We will buy the jerseys with some player's name on it and their number and we'll wear it around. And then if we don't get foolish enough, you know what we start doing? We start pretending like we're on the team. And we'll say some stupid things. We'll say things like, did you see what our team did last night? Man, we played horrible. Of course, you played horrible. You were sitting in your armchair in the living room. You didn't play a single part in that game. Yeah, you played horrible. You weren't even there. And we personalize it. Man, we, what do we do? We magnify it. Why? We are filling up our lives with the presence of that team and its impact on our lives. That's exactly what that word means. Mary says, everything about my life revolves around Jesus. And my soul magnifies him. It's all I can even talk about. It's all I can ever sing about. It's, it's all that you tell me about what my life's all about. I'm going to tell you, it's about Jesus. And see, here's the thing. You don't, you don't know that unless you know the players of the game, right? You don't magnify a team that you don't know anything about. And the more you get into your word... The more that you study, the more that you read, the more that you pray, the more you worship, and the more you do those spiritual disciplines, what's going to happen in your life? 
your soul will magnify the Lord and you will automatically see and say and declare what exactly Mary declared in verse 46. Your soul magnifies. Why? Because you know that God has looked on the humble estate of you. That's it. You want to start realizing God's plan in your life? Know who he is. Know that he's not overlooked you. Know that he has a valuable role for you to play in the kingdom. Do you realize the large function of church? Okay, now this is gospel truth I'm giving you guys. The large function of truth is to equip you to be a part of the kingdom. Church membership and involvement is not a spectator sport. You don't come here and sit your hind parts down and just soak it in. Just it's whatever's for me is for me. And then you go out six days a week. Wonder who didn't call you, who didn't do this, who didn't do that, whatever. No, 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 no. We are to equip the saints for ministry. That was Paul's word to the church in Ephesus. It's why we've been given spiritual gifts. It's like we are a bunch of little pastors running around, little shepherds going out into the world, bringing in the sheaves. That's what we do. That's what, listen, that's really where God's plan starts. Making us all little missionaries, going out into the world, making a difference and, and <clears throat> working with the, with the lost and the poor and the destitute and giving encouragement and, and, and doing all of those things, building each other up. So it starts with focusing on what the Lord has done. Number two, always remember you have something to offer. And if I could just preach for another hour on one thing, it would be this right here. It breaks my heart to see folks think and act like they have nothing to give. And you may be here this morning and you're not fully understanding the whole ministry team thing that we did a couple weeks ago. I get it. I'm sold on it. Because I fully believe that every single person in here, you have something to offer the kingdom. And if there's a church, Baptist or otherwise, that is not giving you an opportunity, they're not doing their job. And we want to make sure that we give everyone an opportunity to train, to learn, to serve, to be a valuable part of a ministry team serving one another. Pastor Johnny Hunt, First Baptist Church of Woodstock. Gave money once to Southeastern Seminary for a a beautiful marble bench. And it sits on our campus. And inscribed in there, he didn't say anything about himself other than somebody put his name. That it was a bench that, you know, Pastor Johnny Hunt uh, helped supply. But in big letters around the side, here's what it says. Your life is about serving others. Let me tell you, church. Your life is about serving someone other than yourself. 24-7. And listen, it is that way. Why? Because God loves you enough to put something in your life that you can do. You may not think it's significant. And on, on a grand scale of the world, it may not be. 
I'm not Billy Graham and I don't lose sleep over uh, at night because I'm not him. I don't pastor thousands of people and I can promise you I don't lose sleep over that. But I'm okay with that. I am, I am absolutely fine with what God has given to me and where he has put me for this time in this place. Be comfortable with who you are and be comfortable with what God has given you. I promise you it's for a purpose. Look at verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of who? A servant. She knows that she is serving someone other, someone bigger than herself. She also says she's blessed. Now, there's an interesting word here, blessed. I could preach another hour just on this one word and how it's used here. I'm not, but I'm going to give you like 30 seconds of what this word is talking about. The word blessed used in the New Testament can either be used two ways, a noun or a verb. In this case right here, she's using a verb, or at least the writer of the book here is using a verb. In its verb form, it is only used twice in the New Testament here and then in James chapter 5 verse 11. And here's what it's talking about. That word used as a verb means that what you have been given, you have to turn right around and do something with it. So there's a theology behind being blessed and there is something mighty big when you go around and say how blessed you are. It means that God has been equipping you to go out and do something about it. In other words, don't hold on to your blessings. Have you ever been out to eat with someone or uh, been with some other Christians and say, go out to eat? Because I, I, I do this from time to time and I'll pick up the tab or, or someone will pick up my tab and they'll say, don't take my blessing. That's exactly what they mean. So when we talk about being blessed, we're actually saying to those who can hear us that God has given me something. I need to return it. I need to do something with what God has given to me. It's why we collect an offering. Because we want to sow back into the work of the kingdom. What God has entrusted to us. We have something to offer. Our blessings should be seen in the exact same way. Just like Abraham's calling in Genesis chapter 12. You remember the calling of Abram. Remember in verses 2 and 3. Abraham or Abram is told explicitly. He says, Abram, your progeny will be a blessing to the world. You remember he told him, he says, who you bless or who blesses you, I will bless. Who curses you, I will curse. And then he says, and you will be a blessing. Have you ever thought about that your walk with God is just that? Have you ever thought about that you are a blessing to this world? That's how much God values his relationship with you. You are a blessing to this world. Now, don't get too big of a head when I say this. But we are blessed to have you here. You are being a blessing just by being here. You are blessed because I am here. I, I can't get a big head over that. That's just theology. That's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Can I stop for a moment and just remind you that that's why 
the theology and the New Testament teaching of the community of faith was so important is because we were designed as disciples of Jesus to hang around with one another for, for regular and extended periods of time. As iron sharpens iron, you remember? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as has been the habit of some, the writer of Hebrews tells us. God created all of us to just kind of congregate. That's why we're called the congregation, because we congregate, and we're supposed to congregate. So church attendance is not so much about a guilt trip. It's about a lifestyle. It's actually about who your identity is. Why? Because you have something to offer. That's why one writer said, and I agree, he says, blessings cannot be enjoyed unless they are used for the manner in which they were given. The blessing of salvation called for the response of covenantal obedience in order for the blessing to go on being enjoyed. This morning, uh, uh, Mason, I got to just pick on you, brother. Mason's getting baptized next week. And I do a a baptism orientation about, about once a month or so. And one of the questions I ask, what does it mean to be saved? And I like Mason's answer. He gave me a great answer this morning. It was deep theology when he said, it means I will serve the Lord. That is salvation. It's more than a prayer. It's more than walking an island. It's more than filling out a card. It is serving the Lord. That's what Jesus said. When he said, you're going to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the intent of that verse. You're going to serve him. You've got something to offer, which leads us to the third principle that we see out of the the first verse of this text. And here it is. Always rejoice in what God has given you. Just rejoice in what God has given you. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Now, I'm going to tell you something that doesn't sound like it's coming from a lady who realizes that she must be an intermediary for us to God, as some denominations would teach. Some denominations teach that Mary is a co-redemptrix, that you can't even get access to God or to Jesus without going through Mary first. There's some groups that teach that. I don't teach that because Mary didn't even say that about herself. Co-redemptrixes don't talk about how humble and lowly of an estate that they are in. They also don't talk about how they were in need of a Savior. Which Mary distinctly does. Not just in this text or this verse, but also in verses to come that we'll look at next week and the week after. But listen, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. Mary would have no problem singing this song. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Mary also shows that she has a complete understanding. That salvation was not of anything that even she could do. She knows it comes from him. But notice she ends in this verse here. The the, the, the. Majesty and the holiness of his name. Why is that? 
Well, we know that throughout the scriptures and all throughout the Psalms and in other places in Isaiah, the holiness is, is ascribed to God's name. And, it, and it's more than just an exalted state. It's also his, 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 his attributes, who God is. That's why his name is holy, for what he has done. That's why Paul says in his theology of salvation, for if you call upon the name of the Lord. Because of what he has done. And he goes on to write in the book of Philippians that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Jesus is what? Lord. What he has done. Kent Hughes, a commentator, writes, Mary's experience of conception had given her a fresh, embracing revelation of the divine being. And so it is with us when we experience Christ. Regeneration ignites our understanding of God's holiness. In other words, her own need of a Savior, it captured her heart and her mind. And that's how she was even able to declare what she declared. She was not a co-redemptrix. She wasn't sinless. She needed the Jesus inside her spiritually more than just physically. Mary knew that his name meant everything. The glory of his name meant everything. Just like a story about an old preacher I read about, Eddie. Old preacher Eddie. Eddie was a a preacher who preached years ago, years and years ago, and, and... Fortunately, and maybe slightly unfortunately, he traveled with two other very prominent preachers. And they they preached everywhere. And I mean thousands of people came to know Jesus as Lord under all their ministries. And old Eddie, he he traveled around. They were two brothers is who they were, two two brothers and well-known preachers. And here was Eddie right along with them. He was a timid fellow and, and easily intimidated. And, and in his own right, he really wasn't a good preacher. But he knew that God had called him and God would fill his mouth and, and he just trusted the Lord. So here goes Eddie. Eddie's out with these other two well-known. I mean, everybody knows these other two preachers. And here he is out preaching. and He just really became more of a helper than anything else. And. One day, these two brothers came riding into town. These two brothers were, well, you know them. It was John and Charles Wesley. John and Charles Wesley come riding into town and have a tent meeting. And here's Eddie tagging along. John Wesley is sitting up on the platform and at the appointed time, he comes up and he says, our preacher friend, his real name was Edward Perron. Edward Perron is going to come and preach to you tonight. Oh, Edward Perron wasn't prepared. And you can imagine his heart beating out of his chest. I mean, it's like the first time I ever preached a sermon you know, I think it was over like five minutes. Nervous as I could be. 
My first sermon, my very first sermon, it was called Dare to be a Daniel. That's what I preached. Well, Edward, he was up on the platform too. He got up. He got to the stage. Oh, Edward, he, he might have been timid, but he was slick. He stood up. Thank John Wesley for introducing him. And in front of this great congregation, he declared, I will be bringing to you the greatest sermon ever to be preached. And he took his Bible and turned to Matthew chapter 5 and read word for word the Sermon on the Mount. And when he was done, he closed his Bible and sat down. Well, he did what he proclaimed he was going to do. Yeah, he preached probably what is known, the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. But you know, his legacy to us was actually not in any preaching form. It was, it was in a song that he wrote. Eddie, Eddie wasn't really good at hardly anything. I mean, he wasn't a well-known preacher, and he, and he wasn't a prolific hymn writer. He only wrote, to our knowledge, one hymn. But the hymn that he wrote declared to us what Mary knew all along. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Lift up that royal diadem and we will crown him Lord of all. And you're sitting here thinking, what on earth can I do in the years that I have remaining or the years I have in front of me? You can be young or old, it doesn't matter. You start with declaring to God be the glory. And that's a good start. Remember, you know, we're, we're just like, remember, he, God selected normal people, Mary and Joseph. If you look at Mary and, and, and I'm ending with this right here, I promise you I'm done. Almost. For back on up in Luke, you had this angel coming to Mary, telling her what's going to happen. You're going to you're going to be you're going to have a conception of a baby by by way of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse twenty nine. But she was greatly troubled. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, she didn't think that she she was in the wrong place, wrong time. Maybe I'm not the one. I think you got the wrong girl. Maybe that's sometimes how you, you Lord, you, you got the wrong man here. You got, you got the wrong woman. Surely you don't mean me. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this stuff be? Because I'm a virgin. And that word in the Greek can only be translated one way. And it only has one meaning. She knew no man. Before this time, she was a virgin. In other words, there was, you could almost say, a slight touch of doubt. Lord, what do you mean you want us to do this or do this? Lord, do you really mean that we can do this or can do that in our own lives, but also as a church? Sometimes we doubt him, but then look at verse 37. 
Mary said, nothing will be impossible with God. Now let me end with something that I, I hope that you'll just, just remember. And this is this is important. Your belief always affect your actions. And you're going to have a tough time convincing your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your children, your mom and dad, your pastor, your friends or family. You're going to have a tough time declaring what you believe if your actions don't back them up. Mary started out with... uh, Maybe you got the wrong girl, then then kind of turned into some doubt. She questioned. But she ended with verse 37 with a great declaration. Nothing is impossible with God. Church, man, woman, boy, girl, old, young, in between, hair, no hair, purdy, the other, Whatever. Nothing is impossible with God. Not for this church. Not for your life. Nothing's impossible. Just like Mary, you've got a part to play in God's story. Let it be more. And let our time here be more than some childlike squabble. Over who gets to do what. The best gift that you can give is yourself. Give yourself to Him. To trust in His perfect plan. You don't have to come from great social circles. You don't have to have a lot of money in your checking account. You may have to risk being ostracized by your family or friends. Students, I want to let you know that even though I had some rebellious years and I had some rebellious times, I still tried as best as I could to follow Jesus. And I lost friends over it. I've had people that did not like me because of it. I've even had issues with my family because of me following Jesus. I have never regretted ever one breath of my walk with God because He has been worth far more than anyone on this earth. He has been exceedingly gracious to me. And I'm going to do all that I can to magnify His name. To God be the glory great things he has done and I will hail the mighty power of Jesus name and as far as my life is concerned he has been crowned Lord of all I hope you can make that same proclamation today 
Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for such a magnificent song that you gave to your servant Mary. Nothing more than a humble girl, teenager, unexpected pregnancy, but out of which you brought a blessing to the world. You fulfilled prophecy. Father, I believe that you have and have already demonstrated great blessings through many in here in this room. You have poured out your blessings and you will continue to do so. There are those who have used your blessings to serve you and to serve your kingdom. There are others who are kind of sitting on them right now like a hen sitting on eggs. Just wondering what to do. Wondering if they really do have a part to play. Wondering if they are significant. Wondering if even you love them. Father, I pray that all of those questions would find answers during this invitation. I pray that there's one here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If they are not aware and fully convinced of forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven through the sacrifice of Jesus, may today be the day of their salvation. I pray for that young man or young woman. I I pray for that married couple who's struggling. They're angry. They're confused. Wondering what to do, what to say, where to go. Father, help them to see and to know you are their satisfaction. I pray for the others who may have a burden on their heart for someone or something. Just something that's been on their mind and they want to come to this altar and pray. Father, let them come. Father, we issue just an open invitation for any and all who need to do business with you, Lord. May they come today. And your will be done. In Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.